What if we could? Good morning and welcome to worship. It is indeed a blessing to gather together as God's family. Amen. Amen. If you happen to be joining us for the first time, we welcome you here. We hope you'll come back. We, um, Andy and I are, are honored to serve this congregation in this city. And um, we just want you to know that um, we are about sharing in hope, living with purpose for the sake of others. Today is the beginning of Holy Week, as Tammy shared with us in her prayer, Palm Sunday. And we might remember that as Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem, the people spread their cloaks and they spread palm branches and they waved to those palm branches and they shouted praising God in a loud voice saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. It was a time of celebration, yet Jesus is fully aware of what lies ahead, that even though it seems like celebration as he's entering into the city, he knows that things will turn very quickly. But everything he has done and everything he does, he has done intentionally, conveying very important messages to his people. As we enter into week six of our journey towards a Jesus-shaped life, we're going to be looking at the mission of Jesus. Luke 19.10 reminds us, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And without Jesus, we're all lost. Have you ever lost something that was really important to you, something really special that was valued highly? A number of years ago, the chain on my necklace broke, and I lost the charm that my sons had given me for Christmas when they were 8 and 11 years old. It happened in Athens at our annual conference. And when I realized that the charm had fallen off of the chain, my heart sank because it was very special to me. I immediately started looking around where I was standing Nothing. I traced my steps all the way back to the car. Nothing. I searched the car. Nothing. I was heartbroken. This was a very, very special gift from my two sweet little boys. And I wore it every single day, as I still do. Clue, it has been found. I asked my husband, though, if we could go back to the restaurant where we had had breakfast that morning to see if the charm was there. And knowing how special this was to me, of course, he said yes. We parked close to where we had been parked that morning. And, of course, I, you know, I'm just like this, walking, looking every inch of the way. Nothing again. I got to the booth where we had been seated, and I looked down. And right beside the booth, I saw the heart. My heart jumped for joy. I had found what had been lost. It was precious to me, and I rejoiced. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus shares the importance of seeking 
and finding that which is lost. Please join me as we read together the words of Jesus from Luke 15. Hear the word of God. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them a parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says... Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent every penny, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. We'll have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. 
The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear most gracious God, we thank you, Lord, that we can come together and that we can look at your scripture, that we can look at your words and have them speak to our hearts today. So, Lord, we ask that you open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts for the message you have for us. And it is in Jesus' most holy and precious name I pray. Amen. In Luke 15... Jesus tells three parables with the same point. God is searching for people. It's important to note that he tells these parables in response to the Pharisees' criticisms that he welcomes sinners and eats with them. Three different stories emphasizing seeking that which is lost. Must have been pretty important for Jesus. Seeking that which is lost. There are many people in the world around us who do not have a relationship with God. They live as if he doesn't exist. But God loves every one of his children and he hasn't given up on any of them. He is still seeking the lost. The first two parables in Luke 15 are about an all-out search for what is lost. A shepherd loses a sheep. He leaves 99 and goes looking for the one that's lost. The next parable is about the woman who loses a silver coin, which would probably be about one-tenth of her, her earthly savings. She sweeps and she searches until she finds the lost coin. Both of them drop whatever they were doing for the search. Both of these parables describe Jesus' mission. He came to find people who were disconnected with God, the lost, and help them repent, trust God, and start a new relationship with the God who had created them. As we seek to follow Jesus, we need to go where he's going, which is after the lost. These Parables give us principles to aid in the search for the lost. The first principle is the greater the danger, the greater the urgency. If you had a four-year-old daughter and she wandered out into the woods on a rainy, cold night and you couldn't find her, you would probably call the police to help with the search because she is in significant danger. You would drop whatever you were doing because she's lost and there's no time to lose. It wouldn't matter if you were tired, you would search. It wouldn't matter if others were tired, you would enlist their help in the search because she is in danger. 
Jesus describes urgency in, in searching for the lost sheep. The lost sheep is in danger. It might get hurt. It could starve if it's not found. Or a wild animal could attack it. Jesus is implying to us that lost people are in danger too. They are spiritually in danger. You might find it hard to believe there's an urgency to share your faith because some people look like they're doing fine without God. They might be likable, not argumentative or abrasive. They appear moral and generous. They seem to love their family and their kids. Even if they follow a non-Christian religion, it's difficult to imagine that they're going to miss being with God in heaven eternally just because they don't feel a need for Jesus. We might feel this way if we assume that we earn our salvation by the goodness of our lives. However, scripture tells us that salvation does not depend on being good or bad. Rather, it's about being alive or dead spiritually. Ephesians 2, 1 to 5 says to us, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins if, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and desire and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Each of us has sinned, which kills our spirit. Only Jesus can make us alive, and he does this because of his grace, not because we've earned it with our goodness. The second principle is the greater the value, the longer the effort. Yeah, I didn't give up when I got to the car with my necklace. It was of great value to me. So I went further looking until I found it. The greater the value, the longer the effort. It's frustrating to look for something and not find it. But if it's valuable enough, you will keep looking. You won't spend much time looking for an old movie ticket. But if you lost a winning lottery ticket, my guess is you'd spend a lot of time looking for that. God has been searching for people for as long as there were people. Remember way back in the Garden of Eden when he went looking for Adam and Eve? Where are you? The story of the Bible is the story of God drawing people back to himself. How valuable are lost people to us? Are they as valuable to us as they are to God? Do we see them with the same eyes of love that God does? The third principle is the greater the love, the greater the joy. 
When the shepherd in the parable finds his sheep, Jesus said, he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. And then Jesus, speaking about the woman who had found the lost coin, she said, he says, and when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God rejoices. We're told in both of these parables that there is a party in heaven rejoicing when you joined the family of God. And there is rejoicing in heaven as others join the family of God also. As we seek to live a Jesus-shaped life, we're going to join in making Jesus known to others. God works through us. God invites us in the mission of Jesus, sharing the good news of new life in him. Just as Jesus equipped the follower, his followers to participate in the mission, he equips us as well. We are his messengers today. Neil Cole tells a story about a court case in Massachusetts in the 1920s. A man had been walking along a pier, and he fell into the water. He came up screaming for help, then slipped below the water. His friends were too far away to help, to get there in time to help him. But just yards away, there was a young man relaxing in a deck chair. He was an excellent swimmer, and he heard the man cry, I can't swim, but he did nothing. He watched as the man sank and drowned. The family of the victim sued the man for extreme indifference. They lost. The court ruled that he had no legal responsibility to try to save the man. It may have been immoral, but it wasn't illegal. We all know people without a relationship with Christ, who are drowning in aimlessness, in sinfulness, in selfishness. God loves them so deeply, and we're the ones positioned to throw them the lifeline. Why are we so reluctant to do so? 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give reason for the hope that you have. There are people all around us drowning. At some point, we all face times of crisis. Could be a job loss, betrayal, marital difficulties, health crisis. When we know Jesus, we have a power beyond ourselves to deal with whatever life throws our way. When we know Jesus, we have eternal life, life with God, now and always. 
May we join Jesus in his mission to bring new life to those around us who are drowning. When we ask Jesus into our hearts, we now live in him and he lives in us. Our heart's desire is to make Jesus known, to make visible the invisible presence of Christ in all our relationships. So how do we do this in our daily lives? One of the ways that we can do this is by intentionally sharing new life with others is to bless them. And we're going to use that word bless. We're going to do an acronym and take each letter and talk a little bit about what it is. These are the steps or the rhythms to help us share our faith with others. The B, to begin, we begin in prayer. We always pray before we talk to anybody about God. We talk to God about that person. We pray by name for the person that we are concerned about. You pray for the people that you work with. You pray for your neighbors. You pray for your children. You pray for those that you come in contact with. And then we listen. The L is for listen. As we come to know them and we come to interact with them, we listen to see what's going on in their lives. As we listen, we may find that they need somebody to hold them up. They're going through a tough time. So we listen. Then we eat with them. The E is for eat. We eat with them. We bond through this shared activity of sharing a meal. A meal. It is a time when we come together and we get to know each other even more intimately. And then the S is we serve them as they have needs. If they're going through a tough time, we let them know we're there for them. Maybe we can't do anything to change their circumstances, but we can be there to help carry their burden. And then the last thing is we share the S. We share our story of how Jesus has has impacted our lives. Last week, I shared a little with you about uh, some things that I had gotten from this little book, Taste and See. And so I've got a few things to share with it. The last paragraph in that book is about the church. And I love the way he talks about Christian ministry. So I've kind of um, put it into my own words. I've adapted a little bit. But this is kind of what he says about um, Christian ministry. The essence of Christian ministry is to seek to lead all people into the presence of Christ so that he becomes visible to them in all their hopes and fears. Our lives and our ministry become truth for the world to touch. Our lives and our ministry become truth for the world to touch. We are showing them the face of Christ in such a way that they have an encounter with him. As we allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us daily, we come to realize that everything we encounter becomes a sacred place of communion. As our spiritual senses are brought to life, nothing And no one is insignificant and useless. With our senses enlivened, we can encounter Christ's presence in all we meet. And we can enable all we meet to encounter 
the presence of Christ. He goes on in here to share a story about seeing clearly. And he's talking, he's sharing that he's traveling through the Scottish countryside with a a theology student, one who had been a shepherd all his life for 20 years and who now is studying to be a pastor. And I'm just going to read a little bit of this because I think think it helps us to see how important it is to see clearly. As we crested a hill, the sunlight broke through a green pasture where dozens of sheep grazed. I said to David as we passed, that must bring back many memories. All David said in reply was, Tim, please stop the car. I stopped and he asked me to back up to a point opposite the field we had just passed. David quietly opened the door, walked across the road, and climbed over the stone fence. As I watched, he walked to the far end of the pasture. A distressed sheep was stuck on its back. And gently, he shoved it upright so that it could scramble away. I didn't realize this until David later explained what he had done. But unsheared sheep are so top-heavy that they can get stuck on their backs and suffocate. Unless they are set right, they will die. David and I had seen the same field. I had admired its pastoral beauty. He had seen the one sheep out of a hundred that was in danger. He viewed the sheep with the experienced eyes of a shepherd. I viewed them with the eyes of a lifelong city dweller. Without his sight and his touch, the sheep would have soon died. All around us are people whose distress we may not be able to see. We need to ask for eyes to see. Jesus is looking for his people, and we get to be part of his search party. That is a privilege. The third of these parables is the parable of the prodigal son, and there are all kinds of points in that story that can be made. But I want to just kind of highlight the overall point, I think, that the story shares with us. This is a story, a reminder, that God never forces himself on anyone, and we don't force God on anyone either. When the younger son wants his share of the inheritance, the father simply gives. Yet even though the son chooses to go, The father never gives up on the son. The father watches and he waits. And then when he sees his son returning, he runs to greet him. And then the father throws a big party to celebrate the return of his son who was lost. As we seek to share Jesus with other people, Sometimes it's important that we watch and we wait for opportunities to share, for eyes to see. May we remember what an awesome privilege it is to be called into mission with Jesus. May we gain a sense of urgency to help those who are drowning. 
May we lean on the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to make Jesus known in our world. And may we join in the celebration when those who were once lost, as we were at one time, return to the family of God. Amen. Let's pray. Dear most gracious God, we do ask, Lord, that you just open our eyes. Help us to see the opportunities that you give us. Help us to be available to the people who are drowning, that we may bring your life to them, that we may help you rescue and bring them back into the fold, into the family of God. And we ask this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.